Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to South Bay Community Church. My name is James, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I've actually been on staff here for about 17 years. And yet, maybe some of you guys are sitting here or watching today online or back in the tent. My, church, my tent friends are back there. Maybe you're wondering, though, like, um, I haven't really seen you around. I haven't really got a chance to know you. And that's because often I'm hanging out with our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. I've had the privilege, I've had the honor, I've had the complete joy of my life being able to serve our youth ministry, serving our middle school students' evolution and our high school students' legacy. And yet, you know, in these past few years, I've been kind of transitioning, uh, kind of moving out. And as you guys know, Todd is our youth director. He's kind of slowly but surely taking over. And I'm, I'm still there because I still love working with all of our youth. But I've been given more opportunities to serve our church as a whole, doing more of our care and counseling needs that have arised. And as Pastor Dave mentioned, one of those counseling needs that I've really come to enjoy and do a lot more of is premarital. And when I'm meeting with young couples, it's always so fun and so exciting as they're about to journey into this chapter of marriage. But oftentimes I'm asked for advice. I'm asked for, you know what, what would you tell us that we really need to consider or try or keep in mind as we move into this relationship? And you know what, my one big advice that I tell all young couples, don't do it. I'm married, don't do it. I, I'm, I'm just kidding. I, I don't tell them that exactly. But I do tell them, hey, would you pause? And would you really think about it? Because it is a huge commitment. And when things are going well and when things are going right, man, it's one of the biggest human relationships that you could ever experience and such a blessing. And yet when it's going wrong, I can see why Paul shared that it might be better for those that are single to remain single. And yet, man, it's such a beautiful thing to see couples come with this idea and this heart and this passion to become as one. And so I do offer some advice like, you know, happy wife, happy life. Uh, but more importantly, what I try to teach couples is always remember that you guys are a team. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we're so focused maybe in an argument or a fight or when the intentions are arise to try to determine who's right and who's wrong, who wins and who loses. But will you guys remember that in a relationship like that, when one person wins and the other person loses, that actually everyone loses. But you know, as uh, I was kind of thinking through and preparing for this message, because I noted and I realized that it talks a lot about marriage, it talks a lot about family, it talks a lot about work, I realized that, you know what, there's another question that I would probably ask couples now. And it's actually a question that I've heard quite often at like bridal showers and things like that. And that question is, who's the boss? Who's the boss in the relationship? Or maybe you guys have heard it phrased this way, who wears the pants between the two of you? You know, and oftentimes when couples are asked this, these answers can range from being on the same page to being way, way, way apart. For instance, um, this is my wife, Darren. Uh, we've been married for five going on six years. And we were actually talking about this question. And, and I was thinking, you know what, let me see what she has to say. I'm going to tell her what I think. And so we're like, who wears the pants in the family? Who, who's the boss in the relationship? And of course, my answer was me. I'm the boss, right? And you know what her response was? Exactly what one of you guys just did, laugh. She's like, what? James, no, you don't really believe that, do you? I'm like, of course I believe that. She said, no, James, 
I'm the boss. I wear the pants in the relationship. And you know what? We had a very spirited conversation about this afterwards. But here's the truth. Both of us are wrong. And today, what I want to do is I want to show you who truly is the boss in some of the most important and significant relationships in our lives, in our marriages, at home, and at work. And how when we really understand and really know who is boss, it will change the way we live and experience these relationships. And so before we jump into today's message, would you guys join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray. God, I come before you asking that you would help all of us really hear your words. And that, God, these wouldn't just be things that we know and understand, but that, God, these would be things that we would begin to faithfully submit to and believe and then live out with all of our being. God, speak directly to us. God, may nothing come in the way of hearing your word and responding in the way that you called us to respond. Thank you so much, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we've been in a study through the book of Colossians. And the theme of Colossians is this, that Jesus is greater. See, the first two chapters dealt with doctrine. Because back then, there was lies, there was heresy, there was deception that was making its way into the church. People were being taught, and they were beginning to believe that Jesus was not enough. When the scriptures clearly state and Paul presents that, no, Jesus, he is supreme. And with this this idea understood and comprehended by all the believers, chapters 3 and 4 begins to unpack the idea of how do we live this out? What is the practice of that, if this truth that Jesus is supreme? And we learned a few weeks ago as we started our study here in chapter 3 that what we must do as believers of God, that there must be an out with the old, the old way of talking, thinking, acting, speaking, and then in with the new. And Pastor Greg, he elaborated on that last week was when he talked about we have a new wardrobe that Christ has given us so that we can look and be more like Christ. Now today, today though, I have the privilege and the opportunity to share with you a word that in the Bible starts with the letter S and triggers a lot of folks. And that's because I think this word tends to make a lot of people feel uncomfortable. And I'm not talking about the word sex or sin. No, I'm talking about the word submission. So thanks a lot, Pastor Gary. Thanks a lot, Pastor Greg, for letting the youth pastor talk about submission. But in my submission to them as my bosses, I come before you wanting to really help you unpack and understand the idea of submission and how it's so vital to the way that God has called us to live, especially in light of Christ's supremacy and especially in the context of relationships, the most important relationships in our lives. And so if you guys have your Bibles, would you guys turn to Colossians chapter 3? We're going to be starting at verse 18. Uh, If you guys don't have your Bibles and you guys have your apps, you guys can feel free to open it up there. Or you can follow along. We'll put the verses up here too. But let's take a look at Colossians chapter 3. We'll start at verse 18. Verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. 
and bondservants. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And guys, what I really want you guys to do here as we pause is take note of what Paul does because it's totally revolutionary and different, especially in the time of his writing. Here, I've kind of bolded and underlined some of these ideas because look, he starts addressing these pairings and take a look at who he addresses first in each of these pairings. First, it's wives, then it's children, and then it's bondservants. And see, this is important because at the time of Paul's writing, the culture and the society, they viewed women, children, and bondservants as things, not people. They were viewed as property and possessions. They had no rights. They had no value. They were even considered inferior to men. But not here. Paul addresses them specifically and intentionally. And he addresses them even first before addressing any other. And yet you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, James. Yeah, he's addressing them. But take a look at what he's saying to them. Wives submit. Children obey. Workers or bondservants obey and work. And maybe, maybe that's why a lot of people want to just steer clear of these verses. Because here, the idea of submission, the way that Paul seems to present it, seems to suggest hierarchy or class. It seems sexist and misogynistic. It seems like they are stating that somebody is inferior and another is superior. And no wonder maybe people shy away from this idea of submission or just get rubbed the wrong way by it. But again, I want to remind you, Paul... He's trying to make a point. He's talking directly to these people who are usually not talked to, but talked about. See, back in the day, when there were the other secular philosophers and they would write about family, about marriages, about work, they would often only talk to and address the men. And they would talk about how wives or children or bondservants should act. Not here. No, here, Paul is recognizing that women, you as wives, especially are crucial members of a marriage. Children, you are important parts of a family. And that servants, you are a person. And your work is valuable. And it's meaningful. And then if you look, he then begins to address the husbands, the fathers or parents, and the bosses, and the masters. And in his, in his commands here, we see that even more so, he wants to demonstrate that these people, wives, children, workers, that they are of great worth by what he addresses to them and what he commands them. So let's take a look at these verses again, and let's kind of unpack it. Colossians 3.18 says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Again, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And maybe some of you guys in here, especially women, you just want to shut me down already, and and I get it. I understand. But would you just hear me out first? Would you remember right here and consider this truth that what Paul is doing is he is addressing wives. He's not addressing women in general. He's not saying women are lesser than men and that all women should submit to men no he's specifically addressing the context of this relationship and yet i know maybe some of you guys especially wives you're here and you're thinking well submission though that just seems so wrong and so demeaning 
And maybe it's because of the way that we here in 2021 think about submission. And in our culture, how, how maybe we think of like UFC or, or fighting sports and we think about somebody being forced to submit. Or, or because maybe the person that loses or surrenders is weaker or inferior. But here, I, I want you guys to understand the word used for submission comes from the Greek word hupotasso. Hupotasso. And hupotasso means under and to put order. It basically means to arrange under and in order. It is to defer out of respect. And it's a voluntary act. No one forces another person into submission. No one says you are to submit because you are lesser or inferior. No, it's a voluntary act. It's a choice. It's an empowering it's an empowering statement that Paul makes that women, you have the choice out of your own will to come under. And in this case, specifically, the leadership of your husband. And, and practically speaking, I think of, um, of driving. Anybody drive here? Some of you guys? Most of you guys? All right, okay, perfect. Some of you guys do drive, have driven, or will want to drive soon. So let's go over this idea of a stoplight. When you guys see a stoplight and you see Green light, what does that mean? Go, perfect, just perfect. Red light means, all right, awesome. Now this is the one I'm a little more worried about. Yellow light, what does yellow light mean? See, some of you guys, I hear you, some of you guys are like, slow down, others, go, 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 go. Okay, I get it, but maybe we look at a stoplight and sometimes we think of submission like a red light. Like, this is it, this is the be all, end all, you don't have anything, you can't do anything, you just stop. But I think more, more what the idea that Paul is presenting here is this traffic sign, the yield sign. Because when you come to a yield sign, you have a choice. You have a choice whether you can pay attention and listen and yield, pause, slow down, and defer to maybe other cars that are coming onto the same road that you want to go. Or you can just plow on through and say, you know what, my way Nobody else, they have to adjust to me. But hopefully, if you've ever had that decision, you would not just do that. Why? Because you don't want to cause chaos and you don't want to put yourself or anyone else on the road in danger. And I think this is more in line of what Paul is trying to demonstrate here. This is more in line with what the Greek word is trying to mention. It's an idea to pause and not just go your own way. That you as a wife will choose to yield and give way to your husband like a car would yield to another car. Because why does a car yield? Because the other car is better, stronger, faster, more expensive? No. But because those are the rules of the road to keep everyone safe. Because it provides order. It provides protection and safety. And it is for the good of the, that car and all the other cars around. And will you remember this? That God is a God of order, not of chaos. He has purpose and meaning behind all of his designs and all of his commands. And so that is why, wives, you should consider this command of submitting to your husband. But, but, will you remember the most important reason? Again, we look at Colossians 3.18 and it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As is fitting in the Lord, this is why Paul is calling you to submit. You submit not just for your husband, but you submit because it is fitting 
in the Lord. See, this verse implies that it is fitting for wives to yield and to come under and to defer to their husband's leadership. This doesn't mean that wives just become doormats and just be walked all over, that a wife shouldn't have opinions or thoughts or have a say. No, if anything, wives should have a say. But, but what it's saying is, would you pause and submit in this capacity? See, almost in every situation, wives are commanded to defer and to yield to their husbands, but first by yielding and submitting to the boss the ultimate boss, and that's Christ. But, but let me be clear here. Because unfortunately, these verses have been misused and, and used as ways to just lord it over people. But no, a wife should not submit to a disobedient husband when she or the children or their family are in danger or in an abusive situation. And if the husband is commanding something that is directly against God's word. But... In all other circumstances and situations, there's no other qualifiers. It says, wives, submit to your husband. And again, remember, you submit not because they deserve it, not because they're superior or you are inferior, but because of the Lord. And as you do, I, I believe that you will begin to experience the fullness of his design, especially for marriage. Because when we don't, we'll experience hurt. We'll experience frustration pain and even chaos see my wife and I actually saw that play out last week see the my wife was getting set and ready last Saturday to go to her best friend's wedding it was a friend that she had literally grown up with since elementary school so could you imagine these two young young friends early on dreaming and thinking about their weddings one day they didn't know who they were going to marry but they knew that they wanted each other to be a part of their weddings and yet because of the current climate in which we live because of covid they there was a lot of strict rules and, and protocols that were put in place because they just wanted to make sure everyone stayed safe and felt safe but as many of you guys know my wife darren she's a nurse and unfortunately the week leading up to the wedding she had a COVID exposure. Now, she's okay. She's vaccinated. She tested a negative twice. But, man, she had her walk through and go through so many different hoops. And they were having discussions back and forth because she was supposed to be part of not just the wedding in attendance, but part of the wedding as part of the bridal party. And so they were talking. They were discussing. So many emails were sent back and forth, forth phone calls, FaceTimes. And then the realization finally hit her that there may be a possibility that she wasn't going to be able to attend her best friend's wedding at all. And so she was stressed out. This was consuming her so much. And so she came to me and she said, James, what do you think I should do? She was asking me for my advice. And you know what? I thought about it and I carefully constructed my words. And I thought I gave really good and insightful advice. And most importantly, I thought I gave the right advice. Well, do you know what she did with that advice? She went to her coworkers and asked them what they thought and what advice they would give. And so she took their advice, came back to me, presented to me. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, that's good advice too. But, you know, I, I still think my advice is a little bit better. So why don't you just do this? And you know what she did? She then called her mom <laughs> and asked for her advice and said, well, this is what James says, my coworkers. And 
what do you think? And then she came back and told me what they said. And I was like, okay, yeah, still very good, very solid. I think I'm saying something pretty similar. So why don't you just listen to me? And so she said, okay, let me go ask my sister now. And so she went in and asked her sister and came back to me. And they all were agreeing. We all seemed like we were on similar pages except for a couple little things. But I, I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest, I was starting to get a little frustrated. And I was just thinking, what's going on? Why you got to keep asking all these people? Like, I told you what you needed to do. I didn't say that out loud, but I think my body language and my attitude was starting to show it because you know what she did next? She broke down and started crying. And, and we'll both admit, she gave me permission to share this story. We'll both admit we started exchanging some heated words. And she eventually got to the point where she said, hey, just leave me alone. Give me my space. And so I may or may not have slept on the couch that night, but, but I wish I could have told you that sleeping on the couch would have brought me back to my senses, that I, I would have realized that maybe there were some things that I could have done better. But no, instead, what I started thinking about was, hey, you know, I've been studying through this passage, passage of Colossians, and you know what? She's supposed to submit to me. What's going on here? She's not listening to me. You know, and, and all I just kept thinking was like, you know what? She's not acting biblical. You know what? This is, she is the reason we're ending up in this place where we're fighting, we're upset, and this is just a madness and mayhem. And then God reminded me, James, first of all, yes, her command is to submit. But what are you learning about submission? Is it that she does just everything that you tell her to do? No, it's just pausing and yielding. Don't you think maybe she's actually doing that by actually asking you for your advice? Oh, okay, God. I get it. But still, she's mean to me. She says some things, and now I'm sleeping on the couch. Whatever. But then, then God was like, and James, that's the role that, that's what I've asked her to do. But what about you? You as a husband, you have a role too. You have something I'm asking you to submit to. So husbands, hear this, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, I need you to circle that word. I need you to underline that word love because it's so important because it's almost a greater call of submission for us. How do I know that? Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5.25 as it kind of describes love. And what it really means, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See here, the word love is not just about feelings. It's not just about emotion. It's just not about passion, right? Because feelings, emotions, passions, those can go away as soon as you start to argue and start to fight. But no, the word here, the, the word that they use for love is the Greek word agape. And agape means selfless, sacrificial. It's a love that puts others above yourself. That's what Christ did. See, it's further explained here, that kind of love that Christ had for us as the church. 1 John 3.16, it says, this is how we know what love, what agape is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. See, while I was too busy worrying about what Darren should be doing, my wife should be doing, I forgot what I had been called 
and commanded to submit to, loving my wife. And loving my wife is so much more than just emotion. No, if we look at Corinthians, we see that love is patient, love is kind. Love does not boast, it does not envy, it does not delight in evil, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking. And yet here I was getting so upset with my wife because she wouldn't listen to me. I wasn't putting her needs above my own. Instead, I was just trying to be right. And so because of that, I, I sounded like what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13.1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, to my wife, I sounded, even though I thought I had sound advice, what I sounded like was gongs and clanging cymbals, just white noise because she couldn't hear what I had to say because what I was saying was said without love, without any consideration, without any care for her. Instead of being focused on what my wife should be doing, I should have been focused on what I've been called to do. And I'll admit that as I remembered this, as I acknowledged this, as God, God convicted me of this, I, I still was reluctant to go and apologize, my, apologize to my wife. I was still reluctant to go and talk to her because I just kept thinking, but she was so mean. She says some things that, man, you can't take back. No, she should come and make it right with me first, and then I'll show her some love. And then I was reminded, wait, that's not love. That's not how God loved us. God didn't say, hey, you make yourselves right down there before I love you. No, we're told before we even loved him, he agape, he loved us. And it's so crazy because then when I submitted to God's call as a husband to love my wife and I reached out to her, it was so crazy because then my wife, her response was, well, what did you have to say again? Oh, that's really good advice. Thanks for sharing that with me. But see, we both, we both couldn't submit to each other until we first and foremost understood that we needed to submit to God. And that's what we did. We submitted to the cause that he had put on both of our lives. And because of that, because of that, we came out better and stronger, not bitter and weaker. And so now if you were to ask myself or Darren, who's the boss or who wears the pants in the relationship, we would tell you that Christ, Christ is the boss of our marriage, that he wears the pants. And I hope that for you married in here today or listening to me online, that you would remember that as well. But as we continue in Colossians, we see that Paul addresses maybe the next most important relationship in all of our lives, and that's family. And you know, it's funny because after asking my wife about, you know, who wears the pants in the relationship, we also had a discussion about who's the head of the household, who's the head of our family. And my household is pretty simple. It's just me and Darren and Chase. If you don't know who Chase is, Chase is my handsome little fur baby. He's my dog. I love him so much. But, you know, I figured that maybe at home, right, that at least in my family I could be boss, I can be the head. Or maybe at least, you know, if it's not just James, Darren, and then Chase, maybe it could be like, Darren, me, and Chase, like A and B, and then Chase, but nope, because you know what Darren said when I told her what I thought the structure was? She said, come on, James, we all know. It's her, then the dog Chase, and then you. I'm like, what? I can't even be second in my own family? Oh, my goodness. But then again, as we talked through and discussed what we were learning in Colossians, we again realized who was the true boss of our family. Take a look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children, are you hearing me? Are you listening? Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Some of you guys are thinking, well, whose children? Well, the Greek word used here for children is a general term for children, and it's not limited to a specific age group, okay? But it likely refers to any child still living at home or under the parental authority and guidance of their, of their mother and father or any parental figure. So please consider that, my friends that are young adults or college students. You may be an adult, but if you're under your parents' authority, consider what Christ has called you to do. Obey your parents in all things. Now, all things, yes, if, if we take a look at that, it encompasses everything except as we con- con- consider the context of all the scripture, of course, unless it's against God's will, against it's contrary to God's law. And let's take a look at the reasoning and the motive behind this again, children. Is it because your parents deserve it? Is it because they know better? Most of you guys are like, no, my parents don't know anything. They don't deserve my respect. Why should I listen to them? They don't even care about me or understand me. And I get it. But remember, your motivation to obey them is so much deeper and so much greater. Because here in Colossians 3.20, it says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. For this pleases the Lord. See, I forgot this as a child, especially during my teen years. And, and you know what? I remember growing up, and I, I would start going to, my, going to church in middle school and high school, and I started really devoting my life, especially my high school years, to God. And I, I got sold out for him. I, I just loved attending church. And at, at church, man, uh, you know what? I was like a golden child. And I don't say that just pridefully. I say that because one year, I got Student of the Year Award. And they gave me a nice little plaque. It said my name. And so I remember taking that home and showing my parents. And you know what my parents said? Who did you steal that from? I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't steal that from nobody. This is mine. They're like, no, there must be another James O at that church because the James O that is here at home with us, he's rebellious. He's angry. He's rude. My mom had a nickname for me, Mean James, right? Because she said, you know what, James, you're so mean, always mean. My Korean temper was at its worst at home. You know, oftentimes, I would just argue with my parents, especially about church. You know, because here's the truth of the matter, though. It's because I wasn't the very best student. I was lazy. Uh, I, I didn't do my work. I often cut corners. And so because of that, it reflected in my grades. And my parents were like, hey, we need you to be better. Hey, we know you are more capable of better. Won't you please do better? And maybe they were saying, maybe some ways that you can do that is by maybe not spending so much time at church. Maybe you could cut back on some of those activities. And my response was like, leave me alone. I'm doing this for the Lord. He's my boss. You're not my boss. Don't tell me what to do. I'm listening to God. I'm obeying God. That's why I do it. But honestly, I wasn't. 
I was just being rude and defensive. See, in that point in my life, my call from the Lord was to be a student and to be a child that obeyed their parents. They weren't telling me to do anything against God's will. But what I was trying to do in my anger, in my rudeness, in my rebellion, I was just trying to justify my behavior. And and I was reasoning it in such a way to just do the things that I wanted to do by saying I was doing this for God. But if I was really doing it for God, if I was really trying to please him, then I really would have obeyed my parents. And hey, parents, I know maybe you're tempted to be like, if my kid's sitting next to me, like, oh, you you hear that? You you got that? Or maybe some of you guys are thinking, oh, man, I'm going to find a way to send this to my child. They needed to hear this. But parents, you're not out of what Christ has called for the family to obey to. Parents, would you hear the command that your boss has for you? Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't provoke your children or they will become disheartened. See, and the word father here is just something I want you guys to note of. In the Greek, it could be interpreted as parents. So moms, don't just be like, see dads, be like, no, parents in general. Don't provoke your children. Don't provoke your children in such a way where you instigate them and you work them up. You annoy them and frustrate them to the point of anger and rebellion or even to the point of being disheartened and discouraged. And parents, we can do this in a variety of ways. Yeah, we can do it by being nagging and overbearing, but we can also do it by being really selfish and overprotective. We could do it by showing favoritism to our kids. We could do it by being condescending to them. But guys, as a youth pastor, can I tell you some of the ways that I've seen it? You could do it by being a parent that sets unrealistic and unnecessary expectations for your children to bear. Other ways, there's a lack of affection. There's a lack of attention. Lack of provisions. Another way, parents, there's a lack of standards or rules or even discipline in the house. Because maybe some of you guys just want to be liked by your kids. We want to be your kids' friends. And so somehow, some way, you have let them become the boss. But no, parents, will you recognize your role as parents? That you are to be the parents to your children. But maybe it's not a lack of discipline, but maybe it's over-discipline. But will you hear why Paul says this to you, parents? Don't provoke your kids because they can become disheartened or discouraged. You know, a discouraged child is someone that just loses heart. They feel so beaten down that they've lost hope and motivation, and they just don't care anymore. One Bible kind of translates this verse in this way. They could become discouraged and just want to quit trying. So you could have kids that quit trying, quit caring to follow you, but most importantly, quit following Christ. Parents, will you always remember that it is more important for your kids to get into heaven than Harvard? Some of you guys are too focused on your kids experiencing and having a good life than having eternal life. See, parents, because take a look. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, yeah, do not provoke your children to anger, 
But it also gives this added command. It says, bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline. Even Christ says he disciplines those that he loves. That's what God says. Because he loves someone, he will correct them in the right way because of love for them. And so, parents, we are to discipline. And we're also to instruct, but we do it very caringly and knowingly of our children. We're not just telling our children because they're just people that have no thoughts or feelings or opinions and just do as we say. But no, we care. We are considerate. We don't provoke them. But our call is to instruct them and to discipline them. And basically, simply put, it could be, it could be thought of like this. Do not bring them down. Do not beat them down and provoke them, but instead Raise them up and build them up with instruction, with discipline. Now, I'm so thankful that my parents did this to me, even as I was a child that wasn't perfect, that had rage, that was mean James. They always still encouraged me, and I'm so thankful for that. And yet, there were ways that they provoked me. One was a lack of attention. Some of you guys might know, but my parents, they were immigrant parents, and so they had their own business, and because of that, they worked long, hard hours to make a living for our family. But you know what? What I saw was a lack of affection. What I saw was a lack of their presence in my life, and especially with my dad, and so I was provoked to want to never, ever listen to him. I never thought that he cared about me. Why? Because he was never there for me. And yet, there was a point later on, as I got older, I had a conversation with my dad, and you know what? I shared with him about some of these hurts and these struggles and how it was really hard to want to even obey him because of these things. And you know what he said to me? He said, James, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm so thankful that even though I made many mistakes trying my very best, you still turned out pretty good. And I got to tell you guys, that inflated me. That built me up. That breathed life into me. And parents, you have that opportunity to do that for your kids. Will you also see that discipline and instruction, that was your primary responsibility, parents, not just the churches, not just the teachers. And so will you take more of an active role in your kids' life and love them, encourage them and build them up, not provoke them and tear them down. But children, remember your call to obey them and to listen to them and why do both sides do that because the ultimate boss and the head of the house is christ so here we've seen that christ is the boss of marriages christ is the boss of the home now we move on to work and darren has told me and made it very clear that i'm not the boss of any of those things so far maybe work No, of course not, because there's Pastor Gary, the best boss ever, right? And so, no, just kidding. He's the best boss, but both Pastor Gary and I, we recognize that there is a greater boss that we must consider, especially in this idea of work. Take a look at Colossians 3.22. It says, bondservants, in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity heart, fearing the Lord tells us then work hard. And maybe some of you guys hear this, but you're like, wait, 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 James, James, just back up. Let's not, over, let's not skip something. Is Paul kind of implying that slavery is okay? Is he condoning it? No, there's nowhere here or in all of Scripture that condones that. But, but instead, what I want you guys to maybe see is that 
while Paul is not calling for a revolt to these things, I, I think there's a few reasons why. Number one, back then, this idea of masters and bondservants, they, they looked a whole lot different than what we know as slavery today and what we have seen in recent history. See, Roman slavery back in those times wasn't racially based. You know, back in those times, most slaves or most servants, they chose that for financial needs and security. And that's why oftentimes these verses are referenced toward work. But if you also notice, they said earthly masters. And so that's why it could be also used in the context for us, some of us as students and teachers or athletes and coaches, people who have earthly responsibility and authority over us. But two, I also believe that Paul was sharing this and not calling for all these different things to happen. Why? Because Paul was calling them to be new people from the inside out. Because if you look through all of verse 3, the practicality of Christ being supreme was that it wasn't just changing superficial things or outward things, but it was changing things from the inside out. See, I don't know if any of you guys are guilty of this, but I am all the time. Sometimes when I pray and I ask God, it's usually asking him to change my circumstances when reality, I should be praying, God, would you change my character? And that's, I believe, what Paul is trying to encourage. Don't focus on these systems and these things that maybe you can't change and won't change you in your lifetime, but maybe focus on what you can control, and that's you and your attitude. And so here, Paul acknowledges these servants. He recognizes them. He humanizes them. And he does something grand and great because back then, people didn't even look at slaves as real people. But he's saying, no, they're real. They're valuable. And they have purpose. And their work is meaningful. And and so with this in mind, would all of us, if we have some sort of authority over us, whether it be a boss or a teacher or a coach, would we consider how we've been called to work? The ways that we have been called to work is not with eye service or for people pleasing. And see, sometimes for some of us, when we work, we only work hard when the boss is around. But when the boss is away, we start to play, right? It kind of reminds me of driving again. Um, you know, my wife will tell you I'm not the best driver. And, and so when we're driving together, uh, you know, I'm not always, always uh, listening as best as I can or paying attention. But all of a sudden, I will suddenly sit up straight. I will slow down a little bit. I will wait a little bit longer at stop signs when I see a car with maybe some red and blue lights around, right? And my wife will always ask me, what are you doing? And I'm like, see, there's somebody there. Like, I got to drive like this. She's like, why don't you just drive like that all the time? I'm like, oh, you're right. I know. I get it. And that's true. I should be driving like that all the time. And in the same way, Paul is saying, hey, remember don't work in such a way where you're just kind of doing your own thing, but all of a sudden when people are looking, you try to appease them or please them. But no, you work with your best and you work with your all. But most importantly, you work genuinely and heartfelt and with love. With love? But James, do you not know what I do? I don't know what you might do, but this is what I do know. Colossians 3, 23 through 25 says this. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Take a look. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Again, that's our motivation. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, right? The Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. We're told here, whomever our boss is, whomever our authority figure is, whomever our earthly leader is, in this type of context, we should listen and work to them. How? 
heartily, with all of our heart. But I want you guys to see that the original word here comes from the word psyche, which means soul. And so implies that whatever you do, whether it's cleaning toilets, taking out the trash, obeying your parents, punching in numbers at work, taking phone calls and doing data entry that seems so monotonous and so boring, or whether it's real estate, nursing, or pastoring, doesn't matter. Whatever it is, do it all for Jesus and do it with all of your soul. This is so, so powerful. Why? Because I think this will help us all realize because maybe some of you guys are sitting here saying, my word, I need something else because I need more meaning in what I do. I need to do something more meaningful. Would you guys see that because of who we do it for, no matter what, we, what work we do, it's meaningful because we're doing it for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That there is no nothing jobs? No, instead they're all noble for they're for Jesus the one who is supreme and the one who is king. So instead of maybe saying, I need a new job to find meaning at what I do, no, would you find meaning in what you do by doing it for the boss, the true boss, and that's Jesus. And then he gives us some reasons why this is so important. Because one, he says, while your earthly bosses might not always be watching, I'm watching you. I see you. I see all things And and so for those that are working hard, are trying their best and not getting that recognition, God's watching. He sees it. No good deed or hard work goes unseen. The Lord knows and he will reward. And know that you're doing it for him. But this also serves as a warning for all of us who are lying, lying, cheating, being lazy at our work. Because we also are told he's watching. He sees you. And you're going to be held accountable. And so with this in mind, This is the call to work with all of our soul and all that we do because Christ is our ultimate boss. But hey, for any of you guys that are managers or bosses or people in positions of authority, teachers or coaches, God has a very straightforward command for you. He hasn't forgotten you. He says to you in Colossians 4, chapter 1, Masters, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So no matter who you are, you could be Jeff Bezos, the founder of one of the biggest and largest companies out there. You could be Steve Ballmer, an owner of an NBA basketball team which has tons of employees and be one of the richest men. You could be Pastor Gary, the best boss ever. It doesn't matter. Every single one of them has a greater boss. And he tells them, hey, treat your workers, treat those that are under your authority, treat them justly, treat them fairly, treat them like humans, not human tools, but also treat them the way that I, your boss, treats you. So to kind of hopefully help us grasp this and to kind of bring it all together, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a visual person. And so I'm going to put up this visual for you guys. But here we're told and we're reminded through all of Colossians 3 that whether we are wives, children, or workers, students, athletes, whether we are husbands, fathers, parents, bosses, or any earthly authority figure, right, we all have the same boss. And we're called to submit to him. None of us is greater 
or inferior to the other. We're all the same and we all have the same boss. And so if you guys are taking notes and if you want to write this down, this is something that I hope that you guys would take away from our dive into Colossians 3 today is this. Jesus is the boss of all relationships. Jesus is the boss of all relationships. If Jesus is supreme, if he is king over everything, then he too should be the boss of our relationships. Maybe instead of taking advice from other people, maybe instead of looking to yourself as being the boss or fighting between you and your wife or your spouse about who is greater, who is worth, would you consider who really is in charge? And that is Christ. And remember who you, are, who you are and remember who he is and remember what he's called you to do. Which means, leads me to our second thing. In response to him being the boss, would you submit? Would you submit? This is a call for all of us to submit. Submit to what Christ has called you to do. Submit to what Christ has called you to do. Don't make this message about others. You know, early, you know, actually yesterday when I shared this message, one of my middle school students came up to me and said, Pastor James, that was good. I'm going to tell my dad to listen. <laughs> and I was like, that's great. That's awesome. But at the same time, I'm like, hey, well, 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 you're told to obey your parents too. Right? Don't make this message about what other people need to hear or do. Focus on what you control, and that's yourself. That's your response. And your response is to submit the way that your boss, the real boss, has called you to submit to. And then finally, give it your all. From all of your soul, give it your all because it's all for Jesus. Give it your all because it's all for Jesus. Do it all for Jesus. You know who this reminds me of? I don't know if you guys know him or not. A brother here at our church by the name of Mark Anderson. You might have seen him. He usually does parking. But when I first met Mark Anderson, it was out on the baseball diamond. I was doing softball. I was taking batting practice. And, you know, I was out there swinging away. And then all of a sudden, out in the outfield, I hear this man yell, batter for Jesus, batter for Jesus. And I was like, who is this crazy for Jesus? Who is this crazy? Okay, whatever. You know, but he kept saying that later on when I made my way into the field and took some grounders, Next thing I hear is, yeah, feel for Jesus. Feel for Jesus. I'm like, this guy cannot be real. And then all of a sudden, I saw him at our church league, our church basketball league. And I remember just shooting a shot. And he's like, James, James. Like, yeah, shooter for Jesus. Shooter for Jesus. I was like, who is this guy that has so much joy and is making it all about Jesus? Well, it's Mark Anderson. And he doesn't just do it out on the basketball court or the sports arena, but even here at church, he'll be doing something like parking. And he'll be sending people into their parking spot, and he'll be like, parking for Jesus, parking for Jesus. He'll see me, and he'll hear that I'm speaking, and he's like, yeah, preacher for Jesus, right? And, you know, I got to tell you, initially, I thought it was weird. Initially, it kind of took me back, and I thought, no way this guy can be real. But when I got to know him, and everything truly is about Jesus. And he has this great joy, whether it's out playing sports, doing something like parking and serving, or just encouraging a friend. He's always making it about Jesus. And then we can find and have that same joy when we realize who we submit to, who the real boss is, and why we give it all that we got. Because it's for Jesus. 
So whether you're a wife, you're a husband, whether you are a parent or a child, whether you're a worker, a student, or a boss, or a teacher, or any, anything of those categories, would you do whatever you've been called to do and do it all for Jesus? He makes it all worth it. But he also, because guys, he's our perfect example of this. I mean, think about how Jesus modeled this for us, right? We're told that Jesus loved us and loved the church so much that he what? Gave up his life for us. He calls the church his bride. He gave up his life for his bride. And then we're told that Jesus, the son of God, even though he's equal with God, he submitted to his father in heaven and told him, not my will, but your will be done. And then Jesus the King of Kings, the Lord, of, the Lord who is supreme, our boss in everything, we're told that he left heaven to come to earth to become a servant to all. And the beauty of Jesus is he doesn't just tell us what to do, but he shows us what to do first. Because what did he do? He got down on his knees. He got a towel, wrapped it around himself, and he began to do what was considered at the time the lowliest of jobs for any group setting, he began to wash his disciples' feet. Because as he put it, he came not to be served, but to serve. And he told his disciples, he said, hey, a servant isn't greater than his master, and yet here I am, your master, serving you. And what was his call? Now you go and do likewise, and you will be blessed when you do. You know, I heard from a parent when I told them about this topic. They're like, hey, how come you didn't teach my child that? I was like, I did teach your child that. They just didn't listen. <laughs> Don't be like that. Today, will you hear the heart of Christ? And remember who's really the boss in all these relationships. Don't make it you the boss. Don't make it the other piece, person the boss. Don't make your feelings the boss and say, no, I can't because I feel this way. Or don't even make your reasoning the boss. No, this is where faith steps in and we say, no, out of faith, even though I don't understand, even though I don't get it, even though it doesn't feel right, Jesus is boss. And so I submit to him and we submit to him the way he's called us to submit by obeying his commands. And then what do we do? Like Mark Anderson, we do it for Jesus. Let me close our time in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for giving us these instructions not to insinuate some groupings better or stronger or more inferior or superior than the other, but God, to give us a blueprint of how we are to experience these awesome relationships in the healthiest of ways. But God, in order to do that, we must recognize that Jesus is supreme and that means he's the boss of everything even our relationships. And so God, I pray that we would make this message personal, that we wouldn't make it about others and what they should do and how they should act, but we would respond by doing and submitting the way you've called us personally to submit. And that when we do, God, we will do it with all of our soul because it's all for you, Jesus. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.